You're listening to Comedy Central. This is a free call from Jordan. And in the internet, Fulton County Jail. Hello? I'm doing all right. Just uh, killing time in Fulton County Jail. We're charged with criminal trespass. I love you. Are you talking to me or your family or? You, bitch. You're my one phone call. Okay, I love you too. That's the sound of a pampered middle-aged TV comedian understanding for the first time that jail is real and being arrested isn't just awesome television, but an actual risk protesters take when they stand up for what they believe in. Let me paint a picture. Jordan Klepper, six foot four, naked, bent over a drain, coughing to see if something falls out of his anus. But this is something that happened to me in Atlanta, Georgia. I was in jail for the first time because I protested on behalf of undocumented students. Today on the podcast, we have my cellmate and real-life grandmother's pastor, Reverend Matt Laney. I nearly find God. But first, we're talking more about the people whose voices we were trying to amplify, the undocumented students of Underground University. Here's your one phone call. This is Clapper. Welcome to Atlanta, where in 2010, an unelected panel called the Georgia Board of Regents passed Policy 416, barring undocumented students and DACA recipients, a.k.a. DREAMers, who have temporary protection from the state's top public universities. Meaning, the taxes they pay fund the universities they can't attend. Fun fact, before the Civil Rights Movement, those exact same schools banned African Americans. History doesn't always repeat itself, but it does rhyme with bassist. Fortunately, students have an alternative. They attend a secret underground college called Freedom University. There's music, calculus, and a dozen other subjects taught by artists, students, and professors from local colleges who volunteer their time. So when you're in art class, it's easy to forget the hostile environment these kids face outside. It was probably fifth grade. And then we were talking about like our dream careers. I mentioned to like all my friends I wanted to be a doctor. And this girl in my class told me not to dream so big because the only thing I would ever be was a maid and like clean her house. What? Yeah. Was her name Becky? That sounds like a Becky thing to say. <laughs> all right, I am here with writer Chris Akimovic and AP, uh, my field partner Grace Leeson. Oh, partner, yeah. <laughs> Very queer of our relationship. Jordan <laughs> that, describes us as partners. Yeah, is that right? Yeah. yeah. Do you want to be my field wife? Yeah. Is that what you'd like no, to do? No, 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 Jordan, come on. I just don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. I don't know what the terminology for anything is anymore. For God's He's sake. learned so much this yes, season. Yes, 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 yes. I've really grown, haven't I? <laughs> We're talking about Freedom University here. Yeah. This story, in a nutshell, is what? This is a civil rights story, which I think that a lot of us were surprised to really discover as we went into it. You don't talk about immigration in the context of civil rights. And when we started kind of talking to these people and talking to the students, we realized that it's just about people wanting to be treated like people, which is I'm in favor of. <laughs> I definitely come down on the side of pro that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This started out with a New Yorker article that Zach, our, pr- our producer, had sent to me. And he said, what do you think about this? And I said, looks great because it had the underground university kind of a thing and it seemed secret and... Uh, there was definitely something going on. Which is, a, which is a university for students, DACA students, undocumented students. That's right. Who can't go to public universities in Georgia. A lot of people are trying to keep undocumented students out of classrooms. We receive some pretty hateful emails 
um, some threats. And in comment sections, people encourage others to find us and shoot up our classrooms. There's actually people say to shoot up the classrooms? Yep. And we exist in part because Georgia is by far the worst state to live in if you're undocumented, the most punitive, the most discriminatory, the most unapologetic about their hate. So on the upside, we're number one. And discrimination, yep. Yeah, you might want to leave that off. <laughs> so they're having to learn, essentially, underground because of threat from hate groups. That's right. And when we met them in person, there was just this explosion of exuberance and earnestness. And they were so happy to have us there. And they were so happy that people were telling their story. I looked at Zach, and I was like, this is going to be great. <laughs> and they loved you. I mean, Jordan, you walked in there, and... They immediately embraced Jordan. They called him Sister Jordan. <laughs> yeah, because we were in a church basement, right? Yeah. <laughs> the school has to kind of operate based on um, kind of the goodness of people to give them spaces to learn in and professors to donate their time. And so there's just a pastor that allows um, the students to have classes like every Saturday and Sunday in that church basement. Um, so they have like art class in there. So that's what we first walked into. So we get in and they're just all sitting around a table ready for Jordan. <laughs> all with paint brushes like, okay. And I'm just having flashbacks to high school again. It's like, they're going to like me. They're not going to like me. Are you nervous going in? Oh, always. It's a loaded <laughs> yeah, moment. I, I've never done well in those situations. <laughs> This story was immediately evocative to us. Mm -hmm. One, because as soon as you start saying there's an underground university, you want to know more. And as you start to un uh, hear some of these details about these students who just want higher education, who <laughs> want to give back to their community, yeah. the fact that this only happens in a couple states and Georgia in and of itself is much more punitive than any other state based yeah. on immigration, like it really immediately grabbed us. And I think like within within minutes, I think we, we got a feel for what the, the energy of mm -hmm. Freedom University was, which was it, was it was positive. It was students who wanted to be there. At Freedom U, students don't just learn things like math and science. They're also educated on the context of their own immigration status, which they then parlay into activism. It's heavy stuff, which today they tackle with trivia games. Welcome to human rights class today. Today's our big undocu Jeopardy class. It's an open book battle between my team. <laughs> We're Doc and Daka Goose. I'm the goose, I think I'm the goose. <laughs> the boys, with a Z, Tacos, a name they gave themselves, and Lily, who was apparently so good at this game that she plays by herself. Only 42% of young adults in Georgia have college education. That's correct. <laughs> Those classes. Those were classes. They were legit <laughs> classes. I sat in on a math class for three hours. Yeah. I understood no words of Spanish class no. for three hours. There's that Spanish class. The teacher was in there. He was he was speaking in Spanish. We left to go to the math class. I came back in. He was speaking in English. And then the second I came in, he switched to Spanish. Oh, I was like, what's going on this in here? Is, <laughs> oh, it's all a facade. What's I know one every five words. And <laughs> Andy's speaking English. Yeah, Andy's speaking English. But these kids are taking it seriously. Indeed. And yeah. you, when you, I guess when you can't take something for granted, you go and you, you do the work. Mm -hmm. They read that whole undocumented book. That... That yeah. was a book. <laughs> we immediately were compelled by these stories of DACA students right. who are not only going to school, they're you know, 17, 18. They're also driving their parents who, if they get pulled over, then are immediately can no longer provide for their family, mm -hmm. can no longer live in Georgia. And so transportation in and of itself became 
this uh, this sort of Damocles that sort of uh, you know hung over all of these students. Right. Yeah. Especially the counties around Atlanta have um, so they abide by different um, like codes that ICE puts out essentially, where you can just for even like a minor traffic violation in I think Gwinnett County, for example, they immediately report you to ICE. Um, which is not the case nationwide. Um, usually you have to do some sort of violent crime, I believe, in order to be immediately reported. So to think you could truly run a stop sign or just drive and be brown and be pulled over for some invented like traffic right. violation. The traffic violation is yeah. not necessarily clear cut either. That, mm-hmm. you know, you can get just pulled over and they don't really need a reason to do it. So there's this constant undercurrent of fear and then still they go about their lives they, joyously yeah too. joyously there was a moment that i think was a real gut check with everyone a night before we had gone out bowling with all of the night. students a fun night going yeah. out bowling we had fun we uh, I, <laughs> yeah, well, I you you had a i had fun, fun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I made a bunch of big lebowski references that nobody understood uh, harkening back to my days of college yes. jordan you bowled for an additional 35 minutes <laughs> by yourself after, We'd wrapped camera, we loaded like, everything out. Is he out. okay? There was just so, I, I don't think I've you ever... You got a was, blister. I just, I suddenly fell in love with it. Also, to actually have a lane where nobody's keeping score, you could just throw as much as you want. Actually, we had two lanes. I was just bouncing back and forth, throwing. I mean, that's the ultimate privilege. I texted your wife. I was like, hey, Laura, did you know that Jordan is this into bowling? And she's like, no. She never took the time to ask. Oh, well, now she knows. Uh-huh. <laughs> but so we had like such a fun night with yep. the students. The next day, we... we we met up with them at Freedom University. They had another class. And actually, they were they were having a meeting beforehand. And there was something amiss in the room. It's a room of about six students. And uh, their teacher, uh, Dr. Emiko, um, asked them how they were doing, how people were feeling. And, and Emiko, is, uh, she runs Freedom University. And yeah. she's also the a teacher director. at... She's executive director at Freedom University, teaches students as well. Mm-hmm. And she sensed it as well. And one of the students, uh, Lily, mentioned something happened last night after leaving bowling. What she begins to tell us is that uh, they had a great time leaving bowling. They get into a car, like four or five of them, and they get pulled over. They don't know why, but uh, a police officer pulls them over and starts looking in the, the back seat to see if there's, there's drugs or there's anything there. So ironically, we got pulled over. Yeah. Okay. You guys are doing okay? Like, my heart's racing just thinking about I know, it. I like, He had a flashlight already out. And right away, as soon as I saw it, I was like, okay, he's looking for something. And then he asks us, do you have any weapons or drugs in the car? There was no law broken. He no. just pulled you over. I don't know. It really scared me because I don't want to think about... I just say that that's... She immediately burst into tears because Mm -hmm. it hit home that like it's a moment like that that causes so much fear and anxiety that can change their lives forever. Some of them are DACA students. Uh, and so they have some protections where their parents don't. And that comes as a, I, I, again, almost a burden in that sense of right. like that, like they have extra protection when they go home, parents who could lose everything just like that. We're yeah, bowling. And look, we can all be normal. And isn't yeah. this just great? Mm-hmm. And then we go home and don't think about it. And they go home and are pulled over and are terrified. Yeah. That speaks to the courage of the students mm-hmm. just to choose to appear on camera. Right. And Which we like, didn't know they would do. We yeah. Sure. Like all credit to like you and Zach and 
Sarah Courtney, who did all the research for this, and also to Emiko. Mm -hmm. She was like our main communication point because she is there to both empower but protect the students at all costs forever. It was so important to us to make sure that they understood the risks, and she also made sure that they understood um, before they would ever agree to appear on camera. There's a scary world out there. There's a a little beacon of hope that comes from a lot of these students. Right, and Emiko especially, you see how... She contrasts, you know, these students being in a world where people are constantly trying to take their humanity away. She's constantly trying to make sure they know the value of their own humanity. And just, you guys are human beings. You guys deserve these things. Yes, you will have to fight for them because that's how these things come. But seeing that kind of power, and it's not its not like a militant programming that's happening. It's just letting these students know that they're worthy of these things, which they are. I was very moved doing this episode by all the things we've talked about. And we went to an actual Board of Regents meeting, which are meetings that happen fairly regularly. And the Board of Regents controls uh, whether or not these students could go to these higher education institutions. It's just a matter of getting, uh, if I recall, like 12 people to agree that higher education is a human right, mm-hmm. uh, which feels like an easy <laughs> sell. Be easy, yeah. Yeah, and they're unelected officials, right. which I think is important. They're appointees. Yeah, yeah they're appointees. Uh, so, like, they are an extension of Brian Kemp. Yes, which if you've seen some of Brian Kemp's uh, advertisements, you realize he's proudly in the camp of... Uh, fuck people from elsewhere. (laughs) Brian Kemp is the governor, and he's um, been known for some of his advertisements when he was running for governor, where he was talking about driving a truck around uh, that he could round up illegal immigrants. I got a big truck, just in case I need to round up criminal illegals. Did he just say that? Yep, I just said that. That's right. And he ran against Stacey Abrams, and he was the Secretary of State at the time, and there were some possible shenanigans with voter suppression and it was an election with a lot of consequences mm-hmm. and he slid right in. Even when we we drove in to Atlanta from the airport, it was Governor Brian Kemp welcomes you and I was like, ah shit. Like that <laughs> that's a big deal. But you're right. He appoints all these people. He appoints these people who make these decisions. And the changes that would have happened if Stacey Abrams had gone, it would have been a totally different reality mm-hmm. for, for these students. So there's a Board of Regents meeting that we go to and we're documenting and I got swept up in this meeting, and I became a part of it, of this protest to draw attention to these students, and was arrested, which was, I will say, a first for me. In the experience of the show, we faced potential arrest a handful of times, um, where even people are asking for that, like you have a certain privilege as somebody who is on television, and that is 100% true, and also a certain privilege as somebody who is as pale as I am. <laughs> what can people like me, or specifically me, do to help out a situation like this? Listen. Say that again? Listen. Listen, okay. Mm-hmm. Show up and find where you are most powerful. If that means you have a show on Comedy Central, use that power to amplify the voices of undocumented youth. The purpose of the show isn't to have me as the righteous warrior uh, uh, standing up for every cause. I think there, it's important to have some distance from within this and be able to watch people and the efforts it takes for people to be active and to try to enact change, and that I'm there f- for it. I'm as close as we can get, but it's, it's their story. This story was so inherently compelling, and I was so moved by um, not only the stories of these students, but the ways in which they were... Uh, the ways in which they were activating 
civil rights history and the tactics of that civil rights history that uh, there on that day was swept up to be a part of that movement. And I'd like to call to order the February meeting of the Board of Regents for the University System of Georgia. Good morning, everyone. And the meeting will now come to order. The Lord, we ask that you provide us with strength and you provide us with uh, the ability to continue to do what we have to do. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Mr. Bradley. We call upon your power and your presence. We call upon your power and presence to move the moral conscience of these leaders that they would allow us to overcome segregation in education again today by allowing undocumented students, undocumented young people to participate fully in Georgia's system of higher education. God, your word says that your young ones will have visions and your elders will have dreams. So we pray that you can allow these students to live their dream. We want education, not segregation. Now, I am not a man of faith. I am if a godless comedian. So I can't, uh, I can't speak I with any kind of moral authority sir, towards sir, the board, but I can say, I can say that education, not segregation. Education, not segregation. Keep going, keep going, keep going, sir. Education. I appreciate you more. I understand why you're here. I understand. I do. I really do. But I have a job too, okay? That I understand. It says that we may have government of all the people, by all the people, for all the people. Education, not segregation. I was taught to respect the human rights of all people. Education, not segregation. Okay. Now we'll have our safety briefing from Chief Holmes. I don't think that's for us. Either we're going to leave or we're going to arrest you. That's what we don't want to do. So I'm asking you nicely, could you please leave? I think we pray this is a nation right. under God. Let's go. You guys are under arrest. Education, 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 education. We're getting arrested. I think your allyship is even more relevant in a post-Trump political sphere because Freedom University has a long history of these direct actions. Like, actually, after they demonstrated at Georgia State University, they did start allowing undocumented students to enroll again. So, like, they do have a strong connection to direct action, and it's so much riskier for them now to put their bodies on the line. They were always a part of these protests in a very, like, physical, in-your-face way. And now they do need more allies standing up because it's so much inherently riskier than it was before. I've been told that in doing these episodes by other people of, like, the phrase weaponize your privilege, weaponize your privilege. It is a card that you can play. And, like, seeing some of these other pastors, some of these other educators who are like, I have the ability to draw attention to students who don't have a voice. And it's really powerful when people decide to cash that thing in. I was next to Charmaine. It was her first time being arrested, and she's an African-American uh, artist in Atlanta. She was the art teacher. She was the yeah. art teacher there. She was doing a lot of murals at the time. Uh, the Super Bowl was uh, in Atlanta, and, and she was doing Colin Kaepernick murals that had been defaced, and they were putting them back up. She was very emotional about this, and she even said this to me, and, and, not, in a, and, and, and not in a way to chastise me, but in a way to put it within context, as we're literally in the paddy wagon being driven to jail after we'd been arrested, like, she she got emotional as we pulled up to jail, and um, she said, like, there's, you need to be aware that there's a lot of people who look like me inside there, and I think, like, 
it's easy to be a white guy who's on television who gets to do a thing. She's somebody who who is feeling this day in and day out. And I think, like, it is a privilege for me to be able to, to be arrested, draw a little attention, and then get to make a television show and walk out 12 hours later. And the other people we were arrested with were pastors who were doing it because they had the protection that uh, Americans give uh, religiosity. But it is important to understand the context of those arrests, and then other people are risking so much more or come from a a history of so much more uh, skin in the game. But I will say, like, that experience did profoundly change me in that, like, you do have skin to put in the game. So much skin. (laughs) So much skin. It's actually stretched out in a way that, like, really, six foot four of skin. That's a lot of skin. (laughs) One of the... Amazing coincidences that took place is one of the five, I believe, pastors who were also arrested is Pastor Matt, who was my grandmother's pastor back in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Wild. A decade ago, (laughs) who I literally met through my grandmother who wanted me to meet the pastor at her church in Kalamazoo, the little atheist me coming to meet (laughs) Pastor Matt a decade ago. Flash forward, he's bounced around. He finds himself in Atlanta. And he is progressive, and he feels it's his role to make a change when he sees when he sees wrongs being done. And I think any any part of me that felt like I don't know if I, am I on the right side of this? Should I actually be breaking a law for this? It gets thrown out the window when your grandmother's pastor is in jail with you. Yeah, right. <laughs> you're like, oh, grandma, grandma vouches for this guy. I think little old me is gonna be okay. Yeah, you're Fine. Grace, you were on the outside for for that. What 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 did I miss? Everyone so? is so amped up on adrenaline after it happened, um, and you left, and we're talking to the students. You were still very concerned about my well being. Oh, I assume. absolutely. He's sitting tight in um, there. <laughs> so while you were in jail, uh, we were all waiting outside the Fulton County Jail. Um, we had to get there early, you know, so we could get a lot of time lapses. <laughs> Great. And then truly just uh, wait. We had the expectation, I think, that you would be getting out around 6, um, which is what uh, one of the liaisons w- between Freedom University and us had told us. And um, I never believed that. I was like, I'm fully planning to change Jordan's flight. Like, it would not surprise me if you stayed overnight just because it's jail. <laughs> like, it's not a shoot. <laughs> it's not, there's no predicting anything. Like, let's just go and try to chill. And um, as the hours keep ticking by, I'm getting texts from everyone in New York being like, well, isn't he out yet? And I'm like, it's jail. <laughs> I don't know when he's getting out. Just sit tight. I'm sure he's fine. <laughs> and um, while you were, you know, in a tiny room with Pastor Matt, um, we were... Outside, the students were truly exuberant the entire time. <laughs> Jumping around, our um, our audio guy, Roy, who's incredible. Everyone knows Cowboy, Cowboy Roy. Roy. Cowboy Roy. Yeah, <laughs> he suddenly whips out a bunch of balloons, and he starts making balloon animals with all of the students and teaching them how to make balloon animals. I'm truly over it at this point, so I refuse to get out of the car. <laughs> but perfectly contrasting our attitude was the students who were just so because they just felt so connected with yeah. you guys and so grateful and they so loved happy. you from the beginning but really at the end yeah they were, yeah like when you finally did come out of the gym first they see you and they come flying to exactly where they can stand without us getting like kicked uh kicked out of like being in front of the entrance and then you finally come out and uh they just mob you completely oh <laughs> Now he can make lame Aww. jokes again. Hey, everybody. It's a pretty lovely feeling. It's definitely attention you don't deserve, but it's, uh, 
Yeah, like I think like, you know, we've said it a thousand times here how moved we were by these students, but you quickly understand there's not a lot of people advocating for the voiceless, especially in Georgia. And so I got to go down there and do that for a couple days and, and be there with them. I, I'm left moved by a lot of the teachers and Dr. Emiko, who does it day in and day out. Um, who also has five rescue dogs. Has five rescue dogs. <laughs> She's constantly advocating. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, then, and also, I will say, as a, uh, as we'll talk to Pastor Matt coming up, but even as somebody who was not necessarily a person of faith to watch other people within the community who are faith-based people, people who are not faith-based, who choose to really make an effort, like in this day and age, you, you have to do something about it. And I think that's what we walked away with that, like, oh, activism is tough, and sometimes it can be small steps, but... But there are steps. Right. Well, great. Thank you guys for talking to me. Hey, yo. You're welcome. Oh, happy to. <laughs> <laughs> I now am joined by my former cellmate, Reverend Matt Laney of Virginia Highland Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Reverend Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing real well, Jordan. Good to see you. Good to see you. I haven't seen you since that fateful day where we spent 12 hours in jail together. How have you been since? I'm doing okay. Yeah, it's good to be a free man again. <laughs> yeah, what have you done with your freedom? <laughs> Probably not enough. I think, yeah, looking back on the things that I've done as a free man, I don't think I've utilized my time as effectively as I probably should have. That's, that's a good thing to know. A lot, of, a lot of napping, a lot of movies, right? Well, Matt, I want to talk to you a little bit about the experience we had, because I think it was a, a unique experience. And I will say, quite honestly, it, it, it was... It was a very moving experience for me personally. But I, something that was shocking, perhaps even divine, if you will, to use a phrase that... Let's go there. Let's go there. <laughs> I think what was kind of shocking and amazing to me is uh, we were coming from New York. I grew up in Michigan and we're going to this Board of Regents meeting to uh, speak out on behalf of these students here in Georgia. Like I've said, there were other uh, community leaders who were standing up and got arrested, some teachers, and a group of uh, people involved with multiple churches around the Atlanta area. And I find myself with you, Reverend Matt, and we actually have a connection because flash back almost a decade, and you were the pastor at my grandmother's church in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And we actually yes. met one another, right. which sort of blew my mind. Is that an act of God? Let's just be honest. You're, you're the pro here. I, as somebody who's not necessarily a man of faith, uh, did I just witness you it? You are a man of faith, Jordan. I am a man of faith? If you got out of bed this morning, you're a man of faith. <laughs> I did. How, how did you find a cause like this? Well, it sort of found me. We had uh, Emiko and the students come speak at our church about their experience and uh, the work that they were doing at Freedom University. And they spoke in our worship service and the students uh, stood up and said, hi, my name is so-and-so and I'm an undocumented immigrant. And I was so taken with their courage to be able to stand up in a public place. Of course, our church is a safe place, but you never know who's there or what might get out, right? Uh, to be able to claim that identity and the climate that we're in and the state that we're in more particularly, which is, as you know, one of the most oppressive and backwards and intentionally unwelcoming states in our country. Georgia is still dealing with some very difficult immigration laws. How is yes. your church responding to those? We recently became a sanctuary congregation, and that means we have allowed ourselves to be a place where uh, an immigrant of, of any age who is facing uh, deportation or is being tracked and hunted by ICE can come to our church and be safe and be protected. 
as soon as we made that declaration or right, right around the same time, we uh, came in contact with a person who is uh, seeking asylum and refugee status. And so we have been uh, offering support to that person for the past six weeks or so. Is that causing any strife within the congregation or is this is everybody on board? As far as I can tell, everyone's on board. Again, I'm proud to serve a church that really gets the gospel and understand that it's not just about us. It's about all of God's people and particularly the most vulnerable among us. And in Georgia, immigrants are first among the most vulnerable. And Jesus said something about taking care of thy neighbor, if I recall. Uh, quite a bit, actually. In fact, the entire Bible turns on a story about immigrants. You might remember this guy named Moses who led a caravan of thousands of people out of bondage in Egypt to a land of promise, to a land of opportunity. And Jesus himself was a refugee. Jesus and his family, when Jesus was a baby, uh, were fleeing from a wrathful, brutal dictator and took uh, shelter and asylum in a foreign country. And so if anyone claims to be a person of biblical faith, and does not have sympathy and compassion for the plights of immigrants and refugees and condones and excuses those who criminalize and demonize uh, immigrants and refugees. Well, you might want to dust off your Bible and uh, see what it says. You're, you're telling me Corinthians doesn't have anything about building a wall or cages at the border? Indeed. Actually, there's a story in Joshua about a wall that comes tumbling down. What? I think that's a Tears for Fears song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somebody else thought of that first. <laughs> oh, you're ruining everything yeah. for me. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry to burst the bubble. People are often perhaps even afraid to to do acts of civil disobedience or take direct action because of fear of what jail might look like. Or for our audience at home, walk, walk them through a little bit of what our day looked like. Well, the first thing I would say is that it wasn't a fun day. And, you know, for you and I, we were inconvenienced. It was embarrassing. It took a long time. It wasn't a great day. But that's nothing compared to what undocumented students face every day. Every day they are barred from pursuing their dreams through higher education, right? So no matter how inconvenienced or uncomfortable we were, uh, it's small compared to what the students we are representing go through every day. But what did we go through that day? Well, <laughs> let's start at the very beginning. We were arrested for praying. We were arrested for saying positive, affirming things about undocumented students, who most of whom have been here virtually their entire lives. That's what we were arrested for, uh, doing that in a public space at the wrong time, right, during a Board of Regents meeting, and that we would not stop praying when they took us out into the hallway. Uh, so they handcuffed us, they took us downstairs, they loaded us into squad cars. Uh, I don't know about you, but my handcuffs were on really tight. <laughs> we're also both lanky guys. So tall, lanky guys in the back of a squad car, it's its not a good fit. I don't think they designed them for people like us. No. I, think, I think you're right. So it was a tight squeeze. We sat in those cars for a long time. They eventually took us to another neutral location and loaded us into the uh, the paddy wagon or the basically a school bus that had been fortified for transporting criminals like us. And then they took us to the jail, loaded us into a waiting area, and then we were one by one strip searched, which was not something I was anticipating. I don't know about you. That was an experience. There was more coughing and squatting than I expected. Yeah, and if I knew they were expecting us to produce something, I might have come better prepared. But uh... <laughs> Here was the thing that got me in that moment, because we stood together and watched as they brought one by one a person into a room where they asked them to strip and then squat and cough to see if something fell out of them. To yes. me, what I couldn't wrap my head around was like, 
what, what, what was standard was the two cough rule. I kept thinking if I really wanted to bring something inside of here and I knew I needed to put it up inside of me, I would train to, to be strong enough to, to hold something for at least three or four coughs. Well, obviously they have a lot of experience and uh, witnessing things come out, you know, for two coughs. Apparently it works for some and or enough people. Was that a controversial idea for the other folks who go to you, who attend your church to see their reverend being taken away? Not at the church that I serve here in Atlanta. They are very much on board with activism, uh, with, you know, taking a stand that's bold and public and prophetic. Uh, so I got nothing but affirmation for the action that I took. That wouldn't be true for all of my colleagues in different denominations or even in my own denomination. But I'm blessed to serve a congregation that was very much on board and very supportive. I will say I was moved. We talked a little bit about this in jail together. Um, but I was moved. Again, I'm I'm somebody who grew up uh, going to church occasionally, first congregational church in Kalamazoo. But kind of as I, I moved away from the church, uh, became, I would say, maybe an agnostic. And uh, I've sort of even disengaged thinking a lot about the role of church in, in, in politics in some sense. And I will, if I'm being totally honest, I'm, I'm often very critical of the role of religion in politics and what have you. That day, and also being too. in, yeah. And well, I think this is, I, I'm curious your, your opinion on there because. It really was interesting to go to Atlanta. We were there two weeks before uh, for the Martin Luther King uh, March, and we went to Ebenezer Church, and we heard people talk about the role that the church played within the civil rights movement and as a, a, a place of sanctuary, as a place of community where people would get together to try to, to better the world. Uh, and the churches were almost uh, one of the few places they could feel safe and organized. And then and getting to talk to you and other pastors on that day, like I, I began to see the the role of the church, specifically in at Atlanta, uh, as such a function and a necessity in a community like that 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 had a lot of voices that weren't heard. Are you guys an exception to the rule, or are you where churches are naturally heading or should head? Well, I like to think that our church is exceptional, but I think mostly the church has just lost its way. Uh, back in the day, in the abolitionist movement prior to uh, the Civil War. The altar call, which now we understand to be this experience of coming forward and proclaiming your faith and uh, Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior and all that, but was originally about proclaiming your faith in a God who emancipates and a God who liberates and joining the abolitionist movement. That is the origin of the altar call. And so that's in our DNA as a church. And I think most of our churches have, have forgotten that social justice edge to the gospel. Do you run the risk of becoming more political uh, as opposed to strictly religious when you uh, take part in actions like this? I think we run the risk of not being political enough. I mean, in the Bible, you can't get a razor blade between religion and politics. They are all bound up as one thing. There is a risk of becoming too partisan. I mean, churches, religious leaders like myself, we're not to be advocating for a particular person or politician or telling our congregations how to vote, although some pastors do that routinely, uh, I, I draw the line there. But in terms of engaging in politics, in terms of how do we make our world more in line, more congruent with the vision that God has for all people, absolutely those are political questions and absolutely the church should be involved. You're, you're going to get me to go to church, Reverend Matt. Wow, miracles every day, you see? <laughs> If you like listening to this podcast, you're going to like watching it even more. So go check out Klepper. It's on all of your devices, including your television. 
Go check it out. Thank you for listening. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 